Welcome to Chasing Expectations, a podcast where we explore how our cultural backgrounds have influenced our career paths. I'm Kathy. And I'm Douglas. Today, we're interviewing a friend who took a non-traditional path to the traditional career of medicine. He is currently attending med school in Australia with the hopes of returning to Canada soon to practice. In this episode, Roscoe talks about what it was like growing up as a Chinese person in the Philippines, immigrating to Canada at a young age, and his journey to medicine when all his mom wanted was for him to become a dentist. So, my name is Roscoe. Um, I was originally from the Philippines, and then I moved to Canada, I think, when I was about 11. Um, did my undergrad there, high, high school undergrad, and then I didn't get into med school in Canada, but I got accepted at University of Sydney. So accepted that, moved to Sydney, it's been here for four years now, so I've graduated. Um, I just got, well, I got a job, I think end of November, when I got, oh, start of November, I got offered a job in Australia. Although I was kind of originally planning to go back to Canada, and I still think that's still the goal. Because of COVID, everything just got delayed in Canada. So I accepted the job here. So I'm still in Australia right now. And I'm actually starting my job next week when I leave hotel quarantine. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a slow build up to the job. <laughs> yeah, stuck in a hotel by yourself for yeah. two weeks. It's actually pretty good. So the Australian system, it's mandatory and you have to pay like three grand to be in quarantine. But the hotels are really nice. It's all like the luxurious hotels. So like Hilton, I don't know. Oh, actually, wow. yeah. So I'm in the Mercure. And like, I think I'm pretty lucky because then it's one of the places where they have like their in-house kitchen is cooking the food every day. So it's really fresh. And this is like my third quarantine. So like the first quarantine I had, it was like, it was, I was doing um, placements in Canada. So I was in Canada and then then emailed everyone being like, oh, COVID's happening. We're calling our students. Everyone has to come back. And then, so I quickly flew back. I was in Manitoba at the time, flew back to, to Sydney and then they were scrambling for quarantine and they literally put me in a student dorm where it just got emptied out because then someone tested positive or something. So the dorm was completely empty. And then they just put me in a room there for two weeks with just like a mattress, like no sheets, no pillow. It's just a mattress in the room. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? (laughs) It was so brutal. And like, they didn't really have like a guideline set out. And so like some of my friends came and they tried to drop off some food or like just some stuff. And then they wouldn't let anyone in. They wouldn't let anything get dropped off. So I had no blanket. It was just literally a mattress. <laughs> in a room. Jeez. So you just slept on a mattress for like what two, for weeks, two weeks without anything else? I didn't even have a towel. Wow. <laughs> it was so brutal. Just air air was, dry yourself. It was actually so brutal. That was like the worst two weeks. <laughs> so you kind of told us a bit about your cultural background, your upbringing. You said you were born in the Philippines. Can you tell us a bit more about that and what it was like to immigrate to Canada when you were? quite young I guess like I think my memory of Philippines is pretty I don't know how much I can remember but basically I didn't really feel like I had much of a life like it's it's not the safest place to be and I think more so when you look Chinese because there's a lot of kidnapping because I lived in like the city Manila right and so my parents were very protective so I was literally like homeschool homeschool nothing in between and then so my mom grew up in a relatively poor place it's not quite the slums, but like we were next to the slums. So we were just like a little bit more. So like my neighbors, like some of, you know, it was just, it's not the nicest place to live. But then my mom grew up, grew up there and she was very like attached to the place. So she didn't really want, even when she became a dentist, she opened her practice there. She didn't really want to leave. And so from where we were to the school that I went, it's like a two hour drive. I would wake up at five, get to school. They drop off my sister first and then drop me off at school. 
And then by the time school finishes, my dad's already there. It picks me up right away, picks up my sister and we're back home and that's it. And so it was like, that's really all I can remember. And when I moved to Canada, it was just so safe, so free. And like, I don't know, it's just like, I think that's really where like life began. <laughs> what was it like initially, like growing up as a, I guess you were a first generation immigrant here with, um, is it your dad only and your sister? And then your mom was still in the Philippines? So, I guess, like, I think as an 11 year old, I, I honestly, I was just like, I was just so happy to be free. Like I could go to the park, I can meet up with my friends. I can actually like play in a park. It's just like insane. Like you see those in movies, but I've never seen grass. <laughs> like, I mean, I've seen grass, but like, it's not like that. Like, not like you can just go into an open field and just like play. So I was just honestly really, really happy. And my dad was always at work. So then it wasn't really like, you know, it's not that much different because in Philippines, it's the same thing where like you go to school, you get picked up, you do your homework, you sleep. So the interactions with family is always just like meals. And we kind of kept that the same. And so um, during my dinner time, it would be my mom's lunchtime. So we would always FaceTime her. We would have a meal together and then everyone splits. So in terms of like family dynamics, it, was, it felt like it was the same. But I think the biggest thing for me was like girls, because I went to like an all boys school. So <laughs> I was just like, and I was like, like obviously I knew my sister, but I was just like, whoa, there's girls. <laughs> that was actually like the biggest like culture shock for me. It was like, whoa, there's just interacting with girls in the classroom. That was the first time I also kind of was shocked because um, my, I guess my dad was like the value they always instilled was like when it comes to girls, it's like you don't need to make friends with girls because all you need to do is be smart, study, make money and like the rest will come. It's not really something you need to like worry about, but you can't really like when you're a teenager, you're just like, no, nah, man, <laughs> you know, it takes your focus away. And I think it took a while before, like I was really angry because then I felt like it was, I was like going after girls and then they were never interested. But I, I think in hindsight now, it's because I actually didn't have much of a personality. Like I literally only did school and I just expected that as long as I'm getting the top marks, girls will just like me. And I was like, well, why not? Like, why, why are they not liking me? Like, they don't talk to me. They ignore me. And I was like, what is going on? Just see how exactly. many A's I got. And I think that was like the first time that I was like, maybe my dad's wrong. Because <laughs> it's not working. Yeah, I think especially like now, I think being quote unquote nerd is like celebrated. But when we were growing up, I think like yeah. you were a nerd. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the other thing too is like when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to play sports. Like in the Philippines, even though I had like PE class and stuff like that, my parents kind of just talked to the school to be like, no, he can't play. He's not allowed to run. It comes from a place where they're just concerned. They don't want me to like trip, especially my mom's always like, oh, what if he breaks a tooth? Like they just really push, like if I trip, fell and like my tooth cracked or something. I mean, she is a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she is a dentist. I'm like, oh, my tooth. That's she always says specific. that. Like, I, I still don't know how to ride a bike properly because then my parents were like, no bikes, nothing that might make you fall. You don't want to break a bone. Yeah. Wow. Like, absolutely no athletic abilities like I'm just not allowed and so yeah when you move to um, Canada and everyone's playing sports it's more about like a well-balanced like well-rounded lifestyle and I was like no nah, it's got to read got to study and that's it and so <laughs> it's very different did, did that carry through for all high school or did you sort of get a better balance I got a balance as well I think they kind of loosened up like I think my mom is really the one that drives the, the whole like I think my mom is a classic tiger mom in that sense but because she wasn't there, she couldn't really enforce it as well. Like, she'll say it, but like, we can just, you just like not read the message. <laughs> just close the laptop screen. <laughs> she doesn't know that I'm playing basketball. And then that's when I started playing sports as well. Yeah. Because before that, like, 
I would never be allowed. So if I never left the Philippines, I would be a completely different person. I think it's interesting that you and I we grew up in pretty different backgrounds, despite like becoming from like a Chinese cultural background, but. Just the values of that your parents had and my mom had are very similar. <laughs> um, especially, I think she's even actually harder on or more protective on my brother. And I think it's the fact it's because he is younger and he's like the only son of the family as well. So it's also about like don't eat too much cold <laughs> foods or you'll get a I don't know like stomach flu or something. And like also don't do anything too dangerous. So you don't like break yeah. a bone and things like that. Yeah. Do you find that were there different standards set forth for, for example, your sister versus Definitely. yourself? Definitely. Like um, I don't know too much about my mom. Honestly, like don't like my interactions with my mom is more like authoritarian. So I don't really know for sure what my mom's view is, but with my dad, his view was like, your daughter is the family, the treasure, and he was always like, she she should have like all the luxuries in life that she can. The idea is that like we give her everything she can have and would need, so that she doesn't just like marry any other guy. Like if you live in a house, why would you leave a house to live in like an apartment kind of thing? That was his analogy all the time. So you want to give her a good life, kind of thing. Whereas for me, it was no. You're supposed to like do all the chores. You're supposed to like learn everything. You should know how to cook. You should know how to clean. Um, yeah, <laughs> like all all the everything at home. Like I had to do. Like actually, since I was tw- like when we moved to Canada, all the bills and stuff. Like I was the one that was doing it as well. It's just because I think it's a mix of like my dad not being as comfortable with English, and I think there's some. I don't know if it's the right, like maybe shame in a sense that prevented them from like. Asking questions because they're like, oh, I'm an adult. I should know these things. So I'll just go get my son to call and ask, how do you get this done? But at the same time, he was always like, now you should just learn it, just because you should learn it. So yeah, like at the same time, they wouldn't admit that exactly. Yeah, don't know it. <laughs> I've also had to make so many phone calls and like fill out so many forms <laughs> on behalf of my parents. I think that's a journey that a lot of first generation yeah, yeah. children have to go. You kind of just have to be the face, but behind the scenes, because I think in public, it still has to be them. My parents are still the parents, but then behind yes, the scenes, we're、yeah. the one that's like, "Oh, you gotta go call." Like when my dad got a ticket, we didn't know how to pay it, or like we didn't know how to dispute it. I remember like having to look online and be like, "What is going on?" Like I don't even know what this means. <laughs> so it sounds like they had the expectation for you that as the son, you kind of had to earn your worth almost. Like you had to grind through,、yeah. like experience some challenges. But then on the other hand, for the daughter, they want to give her like all the luxuries so that she wouldn't. I guess choose a guy mainly that that was that wouldn't treat her as well I, yeah, as her family does, so that she can set her expectations yeah, yeah. like extra like, high. They don't they don't、yeah. want her to be、mm-hmm. bruised. They don't want any calluses. They want her hands to be soft, kind of stuff like that. Very very like generic, you know, like porcelain skin kind of thing. Yeah, six layers of sunscreen every time <laughs>、yeah. you go out. <laughs> Those、um, Asian、oh, grannies. Yeah, the driving the driving gloves. <laughs>、oh, yeah. The scooter, yeah, the scooter yeah, sleeves. Yeah, the driving. <laughs> Just wear your sweater backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did your mom start a dental practice over here when、uh, your family no, moved over? No, she actually stayed in the Philippines. Well, the story they told us was that my grandma,、um, both my mom's grand, my mom's dad, and my mom's mom were, became really ill.、Um, and my mom's mom, in particular, she got diabetes with like diabetic neuropathy, so she couldn't really move. Like it was really bad. So it was around the same time as well that like、um, like we decided to leave Canada. So initially, all four of us came to Canada, and then my mom went back. So I think that's like one side of it, but I think another side of it has just been like she's so attached to her practice that like she, it was it's very hard for her to let it go. 
actually my parents well my mom really pushed me to be a dentist it's just pretty disappointed when i chose medicine and not dentistry <laughs> <laughs> that's tough yeah, yeah. And like, throughout my whole doctor. first year she was like should have done dentistry and like and i was just like okay and the lucky thing is my sister's a dentist so then i think if my sister didn't do dentistry i don't think i would have a, as much freedom to have chosen medicine so she took the brunt of that but even then she would always my mom would always make comments because I think I was always better with my hands compared to my sister. So she would always make comments. She should have been the one that's a doctor, like in medicine, and he should be the one in dentistry. Like she's always making comments like that in first year. But I think now it's just kind of accepted it. In terms of being pushed to become a doctor, was it from my parents? I think it's probably in, in some way, I think part of being pushed to do dentistry, you kind of naturally look at like doctor as well. And I think being in an Asian culture, obviously it's like, it's there, like lawyer, doctor that's really that's really it right so I think that's part of it but I don't think my parents ever really was like you have to do this otherwise that's it I think I've kind of just naturally ended up there I don't know if it's naturally because I, I obviously I got rejected in Canada and had to come to Australia and like I'm paying like really insane fees for my tuition but yeah I don't know I don't think it's from my parents per se it's more just kind of something that's ingrained rather than <laughs> spoken yeah, out I don't in... know if it was ingrained like <laughs> I definitely, so I did on, okay, I would say that the push for sciences was there. So for example, when I finished high school, I didn't want to go to uni because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But my parents were like, you don't have much of a choice. And I got a scholarship at UBC. So they were like, there's not much reason to not say, not go, right? So I, I did that and I just did sciences. I didn't really know what I was doing there. So then, you know, in high school, sciences is biology, chemistry, and physics, right? And I was like, All right, I'll just pick biology. I didn't even realize there's a whole myriad of like different majors. I just never looked at it. I'm like, All right, I'll just pick biology, do biology, graduate in biology. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, no, what? What? <laughs> Can't do anything yeah, with a biology actually, degree. <laughs> it was pretty bad. So I did like, um, I worked, as Kathy would know, I did like assistant at a pharmacy for a little bit. I, I worked in a vet. So I was a veterinary assistant for like half a year. I also did research. So I did co-op placements for about a year of research. So I did research. I worked in a pharmacy. I worked in a vet. And I was like, I, I don't like any of this. And then naturally, I was like, all right, let's give it a shot with medicine. I took the MCAT. And <laughs> like, you're just going down the list. <laughs> yeah. And now you're here. And if anything, yeah. my mom's push for me to do dentistry made me be like, I'm absolutely never even going to look at a dentistry as an option. <laughs> we always do the opposite of what our parents say. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> no matter yes. what. Yeah. So, yeah. What was her reason for wanting you guys to be a dentist? Like, did she ever explain what her reason was? Like, why being a dentist is, like, so the ideal job? My mom grew up really, really poor. So, like, my my grandfather, I never met my grandfather because he passed away before I lived. But he was an illegal immigrant from China. Like, I think he escaped China, went to Philippines. And, like, he, he didn't have any paperwork. So he didn't have an identity. And he, like, lived in some, it's called Mindoro. It's, like, some random province in the Philippines where, like, he was really hiding. And that's kind of, like, you know, that's, like, my, my mom was exposed to. Like, we, she was, she never had any luxuries. So what my grandfather did was, like, he, he basically had to hide and, like, he just sold bread on the side. And eventually he had, like, a bakery. And through that, he was able to put my mom through school. And then my mom got through dentistry. And so I think because of dentistry, she was able to, like, elevate her social status. Like, even though we were still living pretty much where she grew up, but just a little bit better. So we're not like literally in the slums anymore. Like, it's still so close to my mom. She never left it. And because dentistry was her way of elevating her life. And because of dentistry, she married my dad. Like, my dad comes from like a relatively rich background. And it was like my 
dad's, one of my dad's closest friend actually was looking for a good dentist. And then someone referred her, so, sorry, referred him to see my mom. And my, my da- and that guy was like, oh, wow. Like, I think she's great. And introduced her to my dad, right? So I think from dentistry, my mom just got everything else in her life out of it. So I think that that comes from like, I got so much from dentistry. I want you guys to have a lot of things in your life as well. So do dentistry. Yeah, that's a, that's a really common theme, I guess we're hearing from all our guests so far. Uh, the first generation parents from no matter which country they're uh, immigrating to really struggle to get ahead and try to get their first uh, generation kids to get an education and get that uh, doctoral degree or your uh, juris doctor, mm-hmm. um, whatever higher education you can. And that seems to have trickled down to the next generation as well, because it is such a, not, I, don't, I don't want to say an easy path, but almost a guaranteed path to a better life. Yeah. And I think Um, From an outsider point of view, you know, there's like the moniker tiger mom, you know, the mom that really controls like the life of their their children and dictates what they want to become. But really underneath it all, I think what they're trying to do is just make your life easier than what they had to experience. They want to pave the way for you and whether in doing so it actually, you know, held you back in a way or whether or not it actually got you to where you are today. I mean, you're a doctor, every Asian mom's dream. But I think <laughs> the intentions behind it is that they just want to make your life a lot easier than than what theirs was. And it sounds like definitely your your parents, especially your mom, kind of went through the grind. Yeah. And, and some aspects as well. I think like there's some positives with my sister doing dentistry. Like, for example, like her career is set. I think her and her boyfriend just like, got a place together recently and she's been working just a little just about a year and then like obviously it's like financially a lot more stable than being a doctor I think because I think in the western world medicine is public right and so you can't make as much money as you would in a private system and so because private uh, like dentistry is still private in Canada you can make a lot more and I, I don't think a lot of people know it but like in starting salary for doctors in Canada is like 56 grand yeah like your first year it's like about 50 60 and then each year in training it goes up by another 5k so you've done like eight years of school you've started your training to do even more you're working like 100 hours a week and you're getting paid 56 it's a big big upfront sacrifice in terms of earning potential as well as well, time, so especially talking time. about earning potential as well mm-hmm. if you actually so especially in BC there's this thing called the blue book if you Google like MSP Blue Book, it actually shows you how much a, a single doctor has gotten money from the MSP, how much they were paid by the MSP. And you can see their salaries there. And it's not that lucrative. You'll see like a lot of GPs are making maybe a, like they're six figures, but like we're talking like hundred grand. Like it's not, I don't think it's the same idea that you have. I don't know what you guys have, but I personally experienced like a lot of people just saying, oh, wow, you're a doctor now, you must be rich or like you're going to be rich. But no one, I don't think really makes it out of medicine wanting to be rich or expecting to be rich. I, I can definitely say that I think my future is going to be stable because I think everyone's going to need a doctor at some point, right? So I think I'll always have a job, but I'm never going to be in that state of it's like a lucrative, like I'm just going to buy a yacht kind of rich. If you do, it's probably something else. Like you might still have like a side hustle or like some old money in there, but just doing the medical career, I don't think you're going to be really rich. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you move oh, down yeah, to the yeah. States <laughs> or become yeah. a plastic surgeon. There's always some <laughs> those exceptions. Are, those are the... The two yeah, paths to wealth. But the general <laughs> yeah. is, I don't really think medicine is the way to go for like financial well-being. So it sounds like uh, you went into medicine more because like, you explored some other, <laughs> yeah. other options and then in the end you're like, yeah. okay, why not medicine? But it sounds like as you went through kind of med school, you kind of found other reasons for pursuing medicine because just doing it for the status of money doesn't cut it. Yeah, like part of it was like, oh, I didn't really know what else I was doing. So just try and then I ended up getting accepted to a med school so I was like why not but 
I definitely don't regret it. And I think I really found myself whilst doing medicine. Like I think the first two years of medicine, I was kind of just riding along. But when I started, so, you know, in medicine, it's four years. And then the first two years is like a lot more like books kind of stuff. And the last two years is like when you're in the hospital work. And I think when I really started clerkship and like going to hospital every day, seeing patients, I think that's when I really like was like, wow, this is actually really cool. And like my days started feeling really short and I feel like I wanted more time because there's so much I wanted to do in a day. And like, I just really, really enjoyed my days. Yeah. And then I think when you just look back, you're like, whoa, like I'm actually just genuinely really happy. Like I wake up super happy and I go to sleep super happy. I just feel fulfilled. I feel like every day I made some sort of a difference. And yeah, like I, I think I'm, I, I'm lucky that I never had a clear path. I know some friends that were like, I'm, I wanted to do medicine ever since I was a kid because they have this call for it and they do it. And then they're just so happy. And I never really had that, but somehow just doing my own thing, I ended up here anyways. And I found myself being really fulfilled. Well, it sounds like you tried a lot of different things before. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, true, so that's true. A lot of yeah. trial and error to get there. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's really important. A lot of people don't try. Uh, like like you're saying, a lot of people do just say, this is my calling. I'm going to do that. But then they get end up in their career and they, they don't like it because they never tried it before they got there. And I think it is actually a really important thing to try as many things as possible, especially when you're younger mm -hmm. and have the uh, time and flexibility. I think that's a good lesson for anybody who's starting out or thinking about starting out. You can kind of have a feel. There's some doctors or like at least in my cohort, some of my classmates that are like there because they're really, really pushed. And like, it's, it's different because it's like, you don't really, when you talk to them about what they're doing in medicine, like you don't really feel like they love it. They're doing it and they're great. Like they have great marks, they perform well, they like get the right diagnosis, they know how to treat a patient. But it's not the same as talking to someone that's like, wow, like I want to wake up every day and do this. Because you took a pretty interesting path that like you applied for med school in Canada, but you didn't get in, but you ended up in Australia. Uh, and I'm thinking there, there may be others who are in the same boat as you who are exploring other options like med schools outside of Canada. For those people, can you kind of describe how you got there? Like, how did you get into med school in Australia? Um, what was your application process like? Kind of the hard stats. If you want to be in medicine, I think you will know that anyone from Canada, this is specifically from anyone that's Canadian, if you don't get into to a medical school in Canada, you can basically, if you don't get into Canada, like I could tell you that the reason why I got accepted is because I had decent marks. I, I did decent in my interview, nothing exceptional, but I was willing to pay 400 grand. That's the difference. So I think that if your goal is to be a doctor, no matter what, whatever med school you go to, it doesn't matter because you're going to be a doctor. But if your goal is to be a doctor and practice in Canada, stay in Canada and grind it out until you can get accepted into med school in Canada. I think the added stress of taking on that huge loan and debt and still wanting to go back to Canada and taking on all that added pressure, you're going to go to an environment where no one cares about Canada. No one thinks about the Canadian exam. Yeah, like you're, you're working in a different time zone in a sense, right? Like everyone has different goals. Even the treatment plans, the management plans, even the names of the drugs are different sometimes. Doses just would be a little bit different. Like there's so much that's going to be different. It's not worth it. Honestly, it's if you want to work in Canada as a doctor, don't go outside of Canada. It's just so painful. It's actually so brutal. Yeah, and you, you, I, I guess you probably had to do a whole separate accreditation exam and everything when you get back to Canada as well, right? There's two big exams that I have to write, one of which has to be in person. So I had to do it in third year. So I just finished my third year and I have to write this exam that's compared to against all doctors that want to work in Canada. So I'm talking like they've finished their training and they've immigrated to Canada as a full-time doctor, like the full background of a doctor. And they want to move to Canada because of other reasons. And they're taking this exam. And then that's who you're getting competed with. And it's like a scale, right? It's brutal. Like I just finished three years of medical school and I'm being, 
I have to compete with people that have, they're done, like they're actual doctors, like fully trained, fully licensed, everything. And that's my competition. And it's just like, do you really want to do that? It's not worth it. <laughs> like if, if it's, it was so brutal. Like, yeah, there's, I, I had absolutely no social life when I was going through the exams in, in the sense of social life, sorry, social life outside of medicine. Like obviously I had my friends in medicine and I still felt social, but like in terms of like going out to drink, like obviously COVID took that away, but like I just never did anything other than hospital, home to study and back to the hospital. Do you have any idea of what the stats are for people trying to come back to Canada to practice? Is it, is it they accept 80%, 20%, 50-50? Like, I don't have the stats anymore because I, I used to know, but now I'm trying to apply back and I'm just trying to focus on myself being an individual applying rather than part of a statistic. Because I think thinking about statistic is really depressing but if it, yeah fair but i think if you were to go outside of canada the highest number of people that gets accepted back to canada is the graduates from australia i mean the other thing is though i think the people that do go to um, the u.s for example like they tend not to really drive themselves to go back to canada as much because u.s and canada is pretty close so i think that probably diminishes some of the statistics but if you're looking at caribbean the uk ireland australia i think statistically australia is the place to go but in that, that being said, you should also look at which school you go to, because there's a lot of schools here that have opened up. Like we have a new medical school and I won't say the name, but like it's essentially like funded by international students. And I don't think they even got their accreditation yet. So you can finish your MD and you're not, you're not even recognized by Australia. The plan is that by the time their first cohort graduates, it should wow. be all ready. And I think it's looking that way, but. Yeah, exactly. Like it's an empty promise. If you do it, it didn't work out. You can't go back home and you can't work in Australia and you have 400 grand in debt. So it's definitely like, wow, exactly. <laughs> That's a huge yeah. risk. And also the big part is um, the medical system in Australia in terms of training is a lot more chill. So after you finish med school, before your official training program, you have to do two years of just work, which is what I'm going to do coming up is like, you're just working as a doctor. You're basically doing what third and fourth year students do in Canada and US, but you're paid. They call it internship. And then after internship, they call it residency because when you're in the training program, you're called a registrar. So the terms are different, but it's basically a lot more chill, a lot more relaxed. And it's not until later on in your career that you have to grind it the same way as you would in Canada. So the bottleneck in Australia is a lot later. And so if you're trying to go back to a system where the bottleneck already happened, and you couldn't make it through, so you're trying to find a loophole, and you're gonna to go to a system where the bottleneck isn't until another five years, 10 years actually, when you start med school, no one around you has that drive or motivation that's like, oh, I have to get through that bottleneck. Everyone's like, I'm in med school, I'm gonna enjoy med school. The lifestyle is very different. Like, um, you know, you get paid overtime here, so no one really wants to make you do overtime unless they have to, because then they have to pay you. Whereas in Canada, it's just a lump salary for your hours for the year. So you're in an environment where everyone's chill, after an exam, everyone wants to go party a little bit, you know, but if you have to push yourself back to Canada, you can't like you have to prep for other exams. You have to like align your own goals and separate that from everyone's everyone else's goals. It sounds like out of your entire med school career, you enjoyed yeah. the practicums. Um, like what aspects of that did you mm -hmm. did you enjoy I the most? Say, like I like being stuck because, you know, you learn a structure to approach certain presentations. So like shortness of breath or like a heart a chest pain or something like that. And then you kind of have a stock standard approach for everything. And you follow through that path. And generically, if you follow that algorithm, it will, it will point you to the right direction, right? But I like those moments where you're just like, well, I really have no idea what to do. And you have to dig either research, you have to read through publications, talk to people and that collaboration. And one of the big things in medicine is like, even though there's 
a cardiac system, there's a respiratory system. They always, they're never just one without the other. And so even though there's a lot of specialties, you can't just like be in your specialty and that's it. Like you always have to interact with other specialties. And I think that's part of it. Like you're collaborating, you're always like solving these puzzles. And then you're also doing it in the context of working with someone like the patient, like you hear their story, you hear about their life. And you know, like when you're just chatting with them and trying to have a good idea of their medical history, you're also getting to know that person. And so every single day you're meeting so many new people, like you're hearing about different people's backgrounds, different perspectives in life. It's just like, I think it's just so rewarding. And then that's really like the joy of it. And I think that's part of the reason also why I really want to go back to Canada is because when I did my electives in Canada, the responsibilities are so much more. And at first I was like really struggling coming from here where like you literally go in in the morning, you do your ward rounds, like you basically just check in which patient is still admitted, what their plan is. But as a med student, you're not expected to stay and act out those treatment plans. So you can go, go into the hospital in the morning and then leave an hour later. And so I think when I went to Canada and like the responsibility is different and like everyone around me also wanted to stay, everyone around me wanted to know everything and like be part of everything. It's a lot more immersive and I just really enjoy that environment a lot more. Not, not saying that like it's not there in Australia, it's just it happens a lot later. I think it happens naturally as you get closer to the bottleneck and because the bottleneck isn't for another couple of years, like it's not there yet. And I don't really want to lose that. Like, I feel like I'm so passionate about it and I'm still, I don't want to lose two years without being pushed kind of thing. So for you, you're, when you say you have a job lined up, is that for the internship? Yeah, it's an internship. Yeah. Okay. And then for the, after the internship, is that when you come back to Canada or when you try to get back to Canada? Or do you have to go through the whole next phase in Australia as well and then come back to Canada? No. So I'm actually applying to the Canadian matching system at the moment. So it, we call it CARMS matching. So then that's when you're, when you finish med school and you're applying for residency. So you have to get, go through CARMS and get matched. And then you, you be, essentially enter the Canadian system. But, um, so I'm doing that now. So I'm playing my luck and seeing if I do make it back to Canada. Okay. So if you do get into yeah. Canada, then you skip the remainder of the internship and you can just go into the Canadian yeah. system. If, yeah. If you, yeah, so. if you get placed. Yeah. Because the problem is, is like the later you, you know, if you don't get into Canadian med school, you're already at a disadvantage to come back into Canada. And then, so if you don't match now for CARMS, you're, you're going to be at an even worse position. So the later you go, the worse and the harder and harder it gets. Well, fingers crossed for you. Yeah. <laughs> the other option is like, if you stay here for 15 years and you're at the top of your field and then you wanted to go to Canada, then that's like, that's different, but that's completely different. <laughs> I, I find that so shocking because we have a complete dearth of doctors in Canada. We're always saying how many more doctors we need. So it's kind of shocking to me to hear that all these people, all these doctors who have been trained in fairly like well-renowned uh, systems worldwide, that it's so hard to get back into Canada as a doctor. And they're Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I would, I, would, I would say that um, there's some good reasons for that. Like the culture, for example, is very different. And you can't just say that because someone has a medical degree that they can, you can plug and pull them to any system and they'd be working the same way. Like you have to be able to adapt to the system. And Canada and the US is, it's a whole different game compared to like what I've experienced in, in Australia. And so like to say that, yeah, I'm going to take this person who graduated because they have a medical degree and they're Canadian and expect that they're going to be able to work in that system, I think is insane. I think it's going to ruin the whole system. Being able to like manage the workflow is super important. And if you have like one cog that's not working as fast or as smoothly, like it's just going to ruin it. And when I was there, I felt the difference. Like I was horrible. Like I, I absolutely struggled. 
So my first elective was cardiology and I'm interested in cardiology. So that was an easier transition. And then my next placement was infectious diseases. And I was there for four weeks. The first three weeks, I just, I was, I was absolutely abysmal. Like in which way did you struggle the most? The workflow, my knowledge content, like my skills as well. And just like overall experience, like I was just really lacking. And when I spoke to my, my supervisors, I told her like, you know, I, I really wanted to do well and get a reference letter, but I felt like personally for my performance, it was like so bad. And then, she, you know, her response was like, to be fair, like compared to other Australians, you were, you were okay. But because you're telling me that you want to come back to Canada and you want me to compare you with other Canadians, like you're not there. Right. And so I think when you're listening to the public side of just like, yes, there's so many doctors, that's, that's true. But if you listen to the opinion of other, the people that are in the system, it's a huge gap. And if they tell you that all, they're all the same, they're, they're lying. It's, it's really not. During your time in med school, I know in Canada, I think it's very competitive throughout. Is it the same in Australia at, at University of Sydney? I think the stereotype is that North Americans are just so intense because, because we're coming from that background where it's like a lot more, the bottleneck is so early, you know, you, you have to hustle a lot earlier. Whereas for them, it's not there yet. So they're a lot more chill. And so you're coming from this like background that, oh, I hustled really hard and I grinded really hard and I didn't make it. So I have to come here. And everyone else is like, yay, we made it to med school. They're already drinking the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different like point of view. And so it's an adjustment for the Canadians to be like, all right, well, do I just tone it down and chill with them as well? Or like, what, what am I going to do? Are you just, am I just going to be bitter for the rest of the life? My four years, they'd be like, oh, I'm, ups I'm still upset. I didn't make it. So I'm just going to be mad here for four years kind of thing. So it's an adjustment. And do your friends understand that when you say you don't necessarily want to go out for <laughs> drinks at <laughs> 2 p.m. in the afternoon after they're done their rounds in the morning? I, I think so. I think part of it is like you have to find the right friends. Like I was very lucky that my Australian friends were very understanding. They knew that I wanted to go back to Canada. And so they were always very understanding. And you know how like sometimes when you have a friend that's always flaking, you kind of just like, oh, whatever, I'm not going to invite them anymore they're just gonna flake i never felt that, that way with you? my yeah. oh. <laughs> it, it was me no, no i was the flaker <laughs> i was but definitely the never never stopped inviting you just exactly yeah so in that sense like you always feel supported and that like you never have to worry about those things like you know that i, I still have friends <laughs> even though i don't see them i have friends <laughs> One question I do have, and I'm sorry if this question is going to stress you out, but I know you're trying very hard to come back to Canada. What happens if you don't pass the exam or don't get placed? Realistically, I think if I don't match now, I don't think I'm ever going to match. And chances are, like, I have to come to that reality and just accept that I'm probably just going to stay in Australia, which, to be fair, isn't like, it's a very good place to be in. Like, I know it's my backup, but it's a very nice backup to have. Plus, you'll be closer to the Philippines. <laughs> oh, <actually>. Plus, <laughs> I haven't been to the Philippines in years. Like since I left, I think I've been to the Philippines twice. In oh really? Since really? I was eleven. I think I, I've been to the Philippines more. Than <laughs> <laughs> your parents did they go into that whole comparing you to every other one of your friends or cousins cousins for sure i have a cousin that like so he was in the same school as me in philippines and he had a scholarship and went to yale or harvard i forgot which one i haven't like <laughs> one yeah of those ivy league schools yeah he, he got a scholarship out of uh, out of philippines so he went there and then he's a i think he's a banker so he's like making it he's made it and he's like the poster child but the funny thing is is that i think growing up I don't know about my other cousins, but I felt resentment because it was always like, whenever he's brought up, it was used to shame me. Like, I think in, they were what they're trying to foster is like, 
more competitiveness and you need to push yourself more. But I think it ruined my relationship with that cousin because I was like, well, I hate this guy. <laughs> like He's ruining my life, right? Because of him, because he, he had to do and accomplish so much. Now, all of a sudden, I have to do this too. So I think it ruined that relationship. That being said, I don't even have a relationship with him. I don't actually, he's like so much older than I am. But like my impression is like, I just hate him because <laughs> he was just... Yeah, is that uh, undefeatable standard. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think Asian parents always have the tendency to use tough love. Yeah. And I, I don't know that why that is, but I guess it's maybe they feel like that's what they had to experience and that builds character. Because I think my parents definitely compared me to like friends of whatever whoever's daughter who got into med school and things like right. that but they thought that it would motivate you to work harder yeah. i think i think that's what they're coming from but i think a part of it is they never had the opportunity to see the other side like we have now because they grew up in that eastern culture again like that asian culture they never knew that there was another side like if i never left philippines i never knew that like there were girls for example <laughs> like not until much later in my life right so i don't know i i, I get it like i it frustrates me when my parents are still carrying so much like old traditions, even though now we're in the Western culture, it's like 21st century. But like they never were given a chance to think like that, right? So it's hard to be mad. And I think a lot of the tough love, it stems from that fear. Like a lot of these first generation people came to their countries with nothing and they had to sacrifice so much to get there. I think there's a fear that if you don't push your kids because their life is so comfortable, their word, you're going to slip yeah. back into the position that they were yeah. in originally. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really big fear and part of the reason there is that tough love. But I think with that, though, I think it's sometimes you have to tease out the value, which is like wanting my kids to be successful, wanting them to you know, have everything they wanted, wanted them, wanting them to be accepted kind of thing versus like emotional neglect sometimes because they come from that where you're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to have feelings. If you're sad, go do something. It's because you're not doing enough, right? And so there's a mix of emotional neglect as well. And I think that when you're, you want to carry that to your kids and you want them to be pushed as well, you need to separate out those parts that your parents might not have let you have to, to the goals that they really wanted to have kind of thing. Because like when I think of it, like with my parents, I think like, you know, they never had the choice as much freedom as I did. They never had the choice to like do whatever they wanted to do. And so I think that kind of stunts your growth in terms of like maturity wise. Like, because you're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to see other points of view, then you don't really develop those skills to handle seeing someone else's point of view, right? And if someone asks you why you're like this, they're not comfortable being confronted, even though it's just a question of why, like they feel like it's confronting them, their beliefs, and they have to like prove that they're right. What happened recently was like, I put my chopsticks down, but instead of putting it down, I stabbed it into my bowl of rice and my mom just flipped <laughs> out. And then she's just like, don't do that. That's like so disrespectful. And I was like, oh, why? As soon as I said why, she was like, what do you mean why? <laughs> like, and I was so confused. And then luckily my sister was like tapping and was like, oh, because like, um, it, I, I don't know. I don't know how my sister knew it, but then she was like, oh, it's because when you're offering, like, you know, Chinese traditions, when you're offering to the dead, you put the sticks up as a sign that it's being offered to the dead. So if you do that in a dinner table, it's like, you're not supposed to mix death and life. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I was just like, why Why did my mom flip out so much just because I asked her why, right? Right, and I, right. Yeah, rather than explaining and making a exactly. teachable moment. Yeah. yeah. And I think it comes back to the fact that I think that's probably the model that, the, the model that my mom lived in. She never, whenever she asked something, that's how people reacted. So that's how she grew up to be. You never really learned to inquire about like the reason behind things. It's just you were told what to do and yeah. you had to follow it. 
Yeah. I didn't know about the chopsticks thing. I just thought it's a weird thing to do. That's why I had <laughs> Yeah, I always just I was always just told not to do it. <laughs> like, I've never seen anyone like stab their chopstick into a bowl. It was just like convenient. <laughs> I didn't it makes know. It's easier to grab. <laughs> I see. But it's, it's the same thing, like, you never give white flowers to somebody because they're only for funerals. Yeah, or clocks, the number yeah. four. And my mom always had a thing about you can't write people's names in red ink because it's, like, back in, like, olden days in China, you'd sign their name when you were about to execute them. It's like the original death ink. note. Yeah, it was like the original death note. But then as, like, a pharmacist, I have to, like, sign my name all the time as, like, my little form of rebellion. I use red ink all the time. I'm wondering, because, I mean, you being a doctor, I think that's what a lot of Asian parents would define as successful, and also what a lot of, I guess, students as well, and even people our age would define as success. How do you define success now, and has that changed over the years for you? I, I don't know how, how much time we have in this whole podcasting, but like, I, I know Kathy knows, but like, I have a pretty broken family dynamic. And for me, I think I wouldn't really feel successful until... I somehow kind of patched that up. I think that that definitely is a big part for me. Yeah, so success isn't necessarily defined by your career. It's more just life mm-hmm. in general. I think part of, like, as I grew up and I realized that all these messed up little things that my parents would do, like, kind of be manipulative. Although, you know, we could say that underneath all that, they meant well. But we also can't, I can't deny that they were pretty emotionally neglectful. They were very manipulative with a lot of things they do. Instead of just telling you, they have to find a way to make you do it instead of just being like upfront. Like if my mom or dad wanted to spend time, they never just say, hey, how are you? Let's talk. They're always like, they'll find something like, oh, how come you're not talking? Like, and if they want to say it, they always come mad. They're like, how come you don't call us enough? How come you don't like do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, why Kathy is that? Can yeah. Oh my that. God. <laughs> yeah. You just see all my WeChat with my, my parents, especially also, I think that's a very typical like Asian dad thing, like coming in with, as it's if you're mad anger. about something or like complaining yeah. about something. Yeah. But it, it's true that as we grow up, we learn to recognize these yeah. signs, I guess. Because I know now that when my mom is on my WeChat yelling at me about something, it's actually because I'm thinking, oh, actually, we haven't talked for the past mm. two days. So I think it's probably because she wants to come So like my mom's yeah. thing is like her blood tests. Like whenever she gets like a checkup, she always sends it mm. to me. And then, I know it's fine. She knows it's fine. But she'll always send it to me be like, <laughs> am I sick or something wrong? Like tell me what's going on. <laughs> and I know it's just because she wants to talk. And so it's just like rebuilding that relationship, I think. And it makes you kind of upset when you kind of think back. Of, like I, I personally would feel pretty mad sometimes when I think about some of the things they've said or done. But just like finding a way to forgive. I don't want to forget because I think it's a it's a pretty important lesson, but I definitely want to find a way to forgive and like rebuild a, a relationship where it's more respectful in the sense that like they can just tell me they want to talk to me rather than find a way to be manipulative about it. And it's a, it's really tough to be the person to initiate that first yeah. conversation too, because if there is bad blood or uh, fractured relationships, it's always hard to be the first person to yeah. try to mend those. So mm-hmm. good for you for trying. A part of it too is like they never admit. Mm. Yeah, no. they'll never <laughs> admit never it. That so out you'll never get an apology. So I think that's part of like having to accept as well is that like I'm mad because you did something, but you're never even going to say sorry to me. Is I think pretty tough. You just sort of have to um, internalize it and accept that it made yeah. you who you are, and then keep yeah. going forward <laughs> and maybe see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> when you kind of share that story about your mom sending you the 
blood work. I thought that was like, that was really cute. I think it's a way for her to talk to you, but at the same time, proud of what you've become. Because you, this is your specialty. You're able to interpret this for her. So I definitely that could say that my mom has do. never told me she's proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> Those are not words I've ever heard from my mom. <laughs> if anything, it's like, I can't believe you didn't do dentistry. That, that's the backhanded way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Can proud. a dentist interpret blood work? Like, def- probably some of them, but not all of those values, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So kind of looking back on your entire journey, like if you could give little Roscoe fresh out of high school, I guess, um, you had five minutes to, okay, maybe 10 minutes to counsel him (laughs) based on like what you experienced with med school and with your career, what would you tell him? Actually, I wouldn't really have much to say. I think just do what you did because I personally feel very happy with like if I passed away today, I would be okay with it because I felt like I had a pretty happy life and I felt like I've lived every day. At least the last two years really when I found myself in medicine that like I felt fulfilled. So like I would just tell myself to do what you're doing because you'll end up here and it's okay. Thank you for listening to Chasing Expectations. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you heard, please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Everyone has a unique story to tell. If you would like to share yours, you can reach out to us through our email or Instagram in the description. Until next time.